if you're a VC and, and you're trying to make your portfolio company successful and your companies are making a software product for developers, you better believe that developer education is going to be a really key part of your strategy. Because without it, you're going to have a very hard time getting developers to recommend that product or adopt it. Welcome to Under the Hood of Developer Marketing, the podcast devoted to developer marketing, relations, evangelism, and advocacy. I'm Stathis Jorakopoulos, and I'm your host. In each episode, I welcome a guest from the developer marketing world. We talk about best practices, challenges, lessons learned, and share insights, data, and experiences to help you boost your devrel game, talk to, and engage with developers. This podcast is brought to you by Slash Data, the leading analyst of the developer economy, and devrelx.com, a hub devoted to providing resources for developer marketing professionals, including developer ecosystem trends, news and job openings, webinars, a book, and a bi-weekly digest you can subscribe to. Access them all at devrelx.com. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Under the Hood of Developer Marketing. I'm very excited for today as I'll be welcoming two guests to talk about developer education and enablement. They are Nate Oni, founder and CEO of AppSembler, and Shannon Bradshaw, education partner at Unusual Ventures. Nate and Shannon, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Great to be here. Let's get to know you first. What did you want to be as a child when you grew up? Nate, I'll start with you. Yeah, I wanted to be a lot of things, but I, I think if I had to pick one, I was an inventor. I was always taking things apart when I was a kid, trying to figure out how they worked. Sometimes I could even put them back together again. So yeah, I've, I've always been interested in technology and solving problems. Okay, that's great. I'm, I'm sure your parents weren't super excited that you took apart the toys. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I'm sure there's bonus points for uh, creativity and, you know, inventing stuff. Shannon, what about you? Yeah, so I, I focused early on on wanting to be a scientist and did, to some degree, end up achieving that as a computer scientist. Like Nate, I like to tinker. I like to liked to take things apart. And what I learned about myself um, over time was that I really enjoyed blending technology and science with, you know, humanities-related topics, writing, art, that sort of thing. Okay, that definitely sounds awesome. Sounds like a, a Star Trek career you were looking at, to be honest. You know, combining <laughs> science and culture and everything. <laughs> I never thought about it that way. That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that's perfect. So let's, you know, tell us a bit more about yourself and how, for example, Nate, you went to from an inventor or toy breaker, you know, to creating AppSembler. Yeah, like I said, I've always been interested in technology and, and being able to use uh, technology to solve problems. And, you know, so in high school, I had a number of internships at various software companies. That's when I first learned about Unix. And then in college, I studied computer science like Shannon. I got my first exposure to Linux at the university AI lab. And then I got my first job out of college as a webmaster uh, back when they... that's. That was the title that they called people who built websites at an international school. So I was building the school's first website. And then later I got a job at Learning Lab Denmark, which is it's kind of like the MIT Media Lab, but in, in Denmark. And the organization was looking for a CMS, content management system, to manage the school's website. And I came across 
this open source Python-based CMS called Plone. And Plone was just getting started back, back then. So it was a pretty small community, but that was my first experience being involved with an open source community. And it really shaped my my whole look on the software industry and you know, a long career being involved in, in various open source communities. So when I came back to the US after being overseas for a while, I started a web consultancy, building websites and web applications using Plone. And then I started you know, branching out outside of the, the Plone community and got involved with the Django community, Python, Docker, and open edX. And, and really the common thread throughout my whole career is education. My mom was an educator. I grew up in a household where we were always learning new things, going to the library and reading and studying. And so I, I've always been very interested in learning new things and, and teaching other people. And as a developer, I've taken an interest in developer education. So fast forwarding to the present, my current company, AppSumbler, offers a platform for developer-centric companies like Redis, Chef, Cockroach Lab to help them create hands-on learning experiences. So this is primarily for a technical audience. And the focus is really on learning by doing, right? Getting developers into the product as quickly as possible, getting them excited about what they can do with the software, and then nurturing them throughout their learning journey. Yeah, that's great. And I'm really glad that the invert on the inventor part of your childhood, you know, you held the create part and not the destroy one. So yeah, there's a lot of things that you mentioned there. And I just want to take this opportunity to give a shout out to uh, AppSembler for being our partners in 2021 with a future developer summit. Great to have you on our side. And Shannon, how about you? How was your journey like? Yeah, so I went to went to university to study computer science, and my you know my original intention was to uh, go be a software engineer after I got my undergraduate. But I just really enjoy the process of of learning. I I have a lot of energy around learning about new topics, about taking what I already know and trying to extend that into into other areas. And I just found myself pursuing uh, pursuing graduate school. You know, college is kind of a big personal learning journey, not just in terms of the curriculum that your instructors are putting in front of you, but you know, learning about yourself. And what I was what I was beginning to realize is that I, I kind of wanted a path that would allow me to just really keep learning for a living and help others learn as well. So went through graduate school, got a PhD in computer science and started a career as an academic, as a computer science professor. Absolutely loved the experience of learning what I needed to know in order to teach undergraduates and graduate students, working with other faculty on cross-disciplinary projects, you know, learning about their space and working with our, you know, shared students, building software. I built, had a couple of different projects where I was working closely with English and French literature scholars, and we were working on annotating high-res digitizations of ancient manuscripts. So essentially really thinking about that user experience. And at some point I realized um, I, I was more interested in, in, the, in the pedagogy and the in the instructional aspects of being a professor than I was really in, you know, the the publisher parish paradigm in, in academia. And so I uh, left my left my role in a research institution and I went and taught at a small uh, college 
here in New Jersey and had an opportunity really to build a computer science program at this university. We incorporated externships and internships and had a, had a nice a big lab where students and, and I and some other faculty were able to work together during the summers on really applied types of projects, essentially software engineering projects for, for partners. And then I had this really interesting outreach message one day from a recruiter at a company called MongoDB. They had this crazy idea that they wanted to take their developer education effort to a whole different level. They wanted, this was when, this was back when MOOCs were just getting off the ground. So these massive open online courses on platforms like edX and Udacity and Coursera, you know, we're enrolling tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of students and, and learners from all over the world were kind of sharing in a learning experience, both, both in terms of the curriculum as well as community. So MongoDB wanted to do this for their users. So wrestled with this decision because I was very happy in my being a, being a computer science professor, but ultimately decided to join MongoDB. And over the course of seven years with Mongo, built MongoDB University. We had millions of students around the world taking our online courses about MongoDB. Eventually ended up leading the documentation team at MongoDB and, and effectively together with my team and colleagues, really owning the developer enablement and developer education experience for, for all MongoDB users. And it was an amazing learning experience, figuring out how to do that in a way that really engaged learners, got people excited, but was very authentic. Like we, we're, we're concerned about helping them address the problems that they were wrestling with as, as developers and help them find a, a good solution using MongoDB. I took that role um, about as far as I thought I could and then took a break for about a year, recharged. And about a year ago, I joined Unusual Ventures as a partner for education. And in my role at Unusual, I work uh, very closely with startup companies and I help them build their developer enablement or developer education function. We, we, we take a very serious look at the kinds of tutorials that they need, the documentation that they need, instructional videos, and even self-paced online courses, as well as instructor-led uh, training once they're a little bit later in their, in their company building journey. And so in, in this role, I have an opportunity to really see what it's like, what, what patterns work best across uh, a variety of different types of software, user communities, and, and disciplines in helping build a company through making your users successful, enabling them to solve the problems that they need to be able to solve with your software. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. And I like how you you know, both address the topic of education. And obviously for our listeners, uh, they might have already guessed that this is what we will be talking about today, developer education and developer enablement. But first, let's talk data. I'd like you to pick a graph from devrelex.com slash trends and tell us why and what in that graph stands out to you. Nate, would you like to go first? Sure. Yeah, so the one that stands out to me is the very first one on that page. It's the one called documentation, tutorials, tools, and community engagement are the core the developer programs. And what I like about this is the, the breakdown of core and extended core, because what we often see when we start working with software companies, especially earlier stage, is that they typically will have developer documentation 
They'll have some sample code. They might have a few tutorials, but they haven't really matured to the point of having what in this uh, infographic is called the extended core. So these are things like training courses, hands-on labs, you know, more rich technical support. And this is kind of what I see, you know, from more mature software companies is that they sort of outgrow the developer documentation is, is sort of par for course, right? If you're a software company, you need to have that, but it's not enough. And that developers today are really looking for ways to use your software that fits their use case. So I like to call this like project-based learning, where you take a use case, like I'm, I'm a developer, I need to solve this problem. Show me how your software can help me solve this problem. And that's really where the training courses and the hands-on labs come in because they give you a very practical example. Like you're trying to build X, here's how you do that. So it's it's a bit like a tutorial, but it's typically a longer form. There's labs involved and it's really focused on getting you to understand the value that the software provides and how it's going to help you get, get your job done more easily. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, I like how how you you know took this graph and uh, applied you know real life scenarios on what what this means and Shannon how about you same graph absolutely agree with Nate on the on the importance of the of the extended core I, I will say however that I think that there are still a a number of organizations that don't give, don't put enough effort into documentation uh, and tutorials. And what I what really drew me to this graph is how essential and fundamental the developer audience believes documentation to be, uh, as is evidenced by their, their responses here in this survey. I, I, I think that it is absolutely, docs are table stakes. They're what you have to bring to the table if you're going to succeed as a software company, but you still see a lot of organizations who are waiting until the last minute to, to get those those docs out. And they're more of a nice to have than, than part of part of a release. The most successful companies really treat docs as part of the product and roll out. <clears throat> if a new feature is going to roll out, that feature is not done until there are really solid feature docs written and published as well. And it's nice to see that that Overall philosophy is actually reflected in the in the developer opinion per this survey. Yeah, couldn't agree more. It's it's come up like I don't even know how many times in this podcast that you know documentation is where you start. And I like how you make this connection. You know, with as you said, the, you know, most successful companies with that it's it's part of the product, and I do strongly believe that it, it should be now. Let's move on to our you know main theme for for the day and what I want to ask you is with more and more you know software driven and developer focused startups and companies popping up has the VC's appetite for developer education topics changed and just to you know everyone is uh, clear for our listeners when VC we mean venture capitalists so Nate would you like to start Yeah and I'll just uh preface this by saying I I'm not a VC, and I, I can't speak on behalf of VCs, but I do talk with VCs on occasion. And Shannon works for a VC, so he, he's maybe more qualified to answer this question. But I will say that from my experience, a lot of VCs are seeing the most successful software companies 
employ a strategy called product-led growth. And the idea is you have more of a bottoms-up approach to selling your software where people can come in, they can try it out, usually on a freemium or a free trial, and kind of take take their you know, go at their own pace to learn about the software and how it works. Um, this is especially effective for developer-oriented tools where developers um, really don't want to talk to a salesperson. They don't typically want to get marketed to. And so how does a software company attract developers to the product in a non-salesy way? And what companies like MongoDB have shown is that developer education can be a really effective strategy to educate developers about what the product does, how it works, how it adds value. And so I think VCs are now realizing that this is a, a really effective strategy you know, to employ at the very early stages of a startup to get someone in that education role and help build out a program that can speak to developers in their own language, right? In in a way that they understand. And it's becoming a really effective strategy for a lot of high growth software companies that that want to reach developers in a way that is is more effective than you know traditional marketing methods. Yeah. Now, you know, based on and on what Nate uh, mentioned, now, Shannon, you are in a position to judge this both from the VC perspective and also the MongoDB perspective. You know, many other companies have benchmarked their, how they're going to run things on the MongoDB example. So what's your input of that? So my current role is all about that. I work for, for a VC who, as an organization, has decided that developer education is so important, we're going to build a team within our VC um, dedicated to helping our portfolio companies build their own education functions. And that means doing the internal education necessary to help them understand how to build great docs and hands-on experiences to go to market with a PLG strategy, if that's appropriate for uh, for their product, and to roll out self-paced courses and other forms of more formal training. This also includes hiring full-time education leaders and their teams into these organizations. So, and unusual is maybe early in in building out a practice in this way within the within the organization. But my sense is that it is, if not already, pretty well accepted. Certainly becoming um, increasingly well accepted that. You have to put a lot of energy and investment behind enabling your users to be successful with your product, but also with how you teach people how to use your product. Yeah, and uh, from uh, your case in Unusual Ventures, for example, uh, it's part of your strategy to focus on uh, this developer education. But and this uh, question is obviously for both of you. Do you think that VCs in general care for developer education or uh, developer enablement? Yes, I do. I I think that I've I've spoken with a number of organizations that 
we don't have a, a relationship with as unusual ventures. And they're following following the same sort of path to building out an education function. Sometimes it's sometimes it lives within a customer success organization. Sometimes it lives within engineering. Sometimes it lives within product. But in all, I see I see evidence of their investors and their leadership being extremely interested in developer education across across the software industry in a variety of different domains and you know enterprise software uh, saas saas products etc yeah nate yeah i i think it's interesting distinction too between education and enablement because there's there's both the importance of educating people once they've become a customer and they've bought the product. That's what we typically think of as enablement. But then there's just more what I like to call like demand gen, right? Providing educational content that educates people about what you're in, you know, the industry that you're in. And let's say you're, you're making a new kind of technology that is maybe not so pervasive. It's not a well-known mainstream technology, even before you can get people to try your product, you may just need to educate them on why this technology space is even important. Like, what is it, what is it going to do for your business? And so what we see a lot of our customers doing is providing more general training on the space that they're in. So like if you're, if you're a chef and you make a cloud automation tool set, you may want to provide a course on what is DevOps for companies that don't even know what that term means. Nowadays, most people know what DevOps is, but back when Chef was first doing this, that was kind of a new thing. And so a lot of the education is is priming people to be receptive to your product and understand why they would adopt it in the first place. It's not even product education so much as it is helping people understand the value of the technology space that you're in and that you're creating. And that's something that can help drive growth, right? It's very hard to get someone to buy your product if they don't understand why they would use it. And so a lot of education is just helping people understand the why, not just the what. Yes, and thank you for uh, taking the time to make this distinction between education and enablement. It makes it a lot clearer. Yet, you know, how can someone really convince this is that you know developer education is valuable it might seem uh, intuitive for example to us who are within this industry but you know for uh, someone who's not yeah. i i think vcs are realizing that developers are increasingly becoming very influential within their organizations and you know while software used to be purchased very top down right it was usually like a c suite who would um, be wined and dined by a, a vendor, and then they would make a top-down decision. <laughs> Nowadays, software is purchased much more bottoms up. It's developers getting in, trying out the software, and then they make a recommendation to the decision maker and say, hey, we've, we've been running this thing through its paces. We've done a POC. We believe that this is the, the product that's going to work for us. And so nowadays, you know, I've, I've heard stats up to like 96, 96% of developers have some role in the purchasing process of software that's adopted at their organization. So if you're a VC and, and you're trying to make your portfolio companies successful and your companies are making a software product for developers, 
you better believe that developer education is going to be a really key part of your strategy. Because without it, you're going to have a very hard time getting developers to recommend that product or adopt it. Yeah, uh, Shannon? Sure. So it's absolutely the case that developers are really what drives um, a lot of purchasing decisions. This is the model that we used at, at MongoDB, Focus, focusing on the developer experience, obsessing um, over it really, because when you win the, the mindshare of developer, they're going to agitate internally to for, for adoption. And so... So most go-to-market strategies nowadays for organizations are following a bottom-up strategy, as Nate as Nate identified. For this reason, you do you do still need a sales organization. You need to be able to come at it both um, bottom-up um, and top-down. But we find that 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 top-down strategy, bringing in sales, really makes a lot more sense and is a lot more effective. Once you've you've already got a lot of interest within an organization because you've already convinced the developers in that in that org that this is the product that they want to use. And they are advocating with their management and their management is advocating up the chain to the, the person who can who can sign the checks that this is a product that that we need to adopt. And then sales can come in and Really figure out what it's going to take for the the buyer to get on board and help the organization run any kind of you know formalized internal proof of concept testing, a more 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 formal integration testing, that sort of thing to make it a reality. But it all begins with that first developer who learns about your product through a an awareness campaign that you're running and begins their learning journey with it first typically with some tutorials and then into documentation and then in some sort of hands-on experience and whether it's a, whether it's a formal free trial that you set up in your product that documentation helps guide them through or trying it out in in some other way making that experience as positive um, and as successful for that developer as possible is really what developer education is all about. And getting that initial user convinced to the point where they're willing to go evangelize within their organization, begin to show um, what it is they're able to do with your product to their colleagues, and then get their colleagues excited about it. And eventually they take it to their manager. That is how software products are being sold today. So having a, an expert developer education game is really fundamental to the success of, of, your, of your organization, of, of your company. Yeah, uh, that's great. And I also want to add, because you did both mention it, uh, about how you know, buying decisions are no longer, at least in their majority, you know, top-down, but developers have an active role in the tools that they'll be using, you know, the purchase decisions. And actually in Future Developer Summit, the episode two, we did our presentation from our analysts was based exactly on that, you know, showing how developers are involved in the purchasing decisions within a company. So if anyone wants to know more about it, you can go to the DevRelX blog or the futuredeveloper.io website and access the presentation there. Now, you know, the, I think we've both been very clear about, you know, the actual value of 
developer education, right? But how can you prove it? Like, what kind of metrics can you use to prove this value? Uh, Nate? Yeah, so metrics and analytics are hugely important for our customers. Really, what they're trying to do is measure the effectiveness of the education towards product adoption is usually what they're aiming for. If you take it even further, it's it's not just adoption, but it's also revenue and uh, retention, right? It's, it's you know financial metrics. But what our customers are typically measuring is you know how many people are enrolling in a course, how many people are completing those courses, and how is that educational journey affecting the product adoption? So this is both pre-sales, like before they become a customer, as well as after they become a customer, are they continuing to learn about the product? And how is that product adoption proliferating throughout the organization, right? Is it it just a small group of people or is it spreading? Are there more people at the organization that are adopting it? So those are the kinds of things that our customers are really keen on measuring. And, you know, they want to have nurturing campaigns. Shannon mentioned this earlier, how important it is to, once you get a developer in learning about the product and you get them hooked, you want to keep them coming back. You want to keep them engaged and excited and also telling their colleagues about it. And the way that most of our customers do that is using you know marketing automation software like Marketo or Eloqua or HubSpot, basically sending out emails that are not your sort of traditional marketing emails, but they're more emails reminding them of the learning experience and what they signed up to learn about and saying, hey, we, we noticed that you sign up for this course, your homework is due on Tuesday, and you know you might be interested in coming back and, and checking that out. And those emails get very high open rates compared to like a traditional marketing email because it's it's all about learning, it's all about education, it's all about helping you to grow in your career and become a better developer. So that's that's one of the things that I think is so important to measure is the engagement of those developers after that initial spark when they come in, they they try it out. Do they keep coming back? And are they enrolling in you know more intermediate or more advanced courses after they take kind of those initial quick start type experiences like the hands-on labs that that Shannon was mentioning? So I love that you brought up the the nurture campaign emails. So as as Nate mentioned early on, it is developers really hate to be marketed to, they hate to be sold to. But, you know, I I think I'm I think I'm not unusual or, you know, Nate spoke to a a love of learning as well. I I think in general, uh, a lot of developers or software engineers are lifelong learners. They they love to learn about new new technologies. And so sending them an email to remind them of a learning journey that they started that they might want to pick back up again is such a great way to bring them back in and to kind of keep them moving in engaging with with your with your product. Um, and you know, at, at at MongoDB, we had 
uh, really big success with this, with, with these, with these nurture uh, campaign emails. I had somebody on my team at the time. Her name's Niati Shah. She's now she now leads the education function at Lacework. She was uh, a master of writing these nurture campaigns, of developing these nurture nurture campaigns, and we would have you know sixty percent click through rates for for some of these campaigns. Getting getting people to come back in to to the learning experiences that we provide we we were providing through MongoDB University. Nate also spoke to trying to get a sense for from 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 what you're seeing in the data the degree of interest with, within a within an organization. At MongoDB we had a we had a report that we would produce weekly called the smoke report coming from the the idea of where there's smoke there's fire. And a major component of that was looking at the registration or other forms of engagement data that we were tracking for MongoDB University and looking for clusters of individuals who all had the same email domain, email address domain, um, essentially looking for clusters of activity or interest within organizations. And that was an important part of the prospecting that the sales organization then would use in terms of prioritizing their pipeline, their outreach. So the if there was an indication that there was a large, you know, it could be anything anywhere from, you know, two, three, five. Um, individuals in an org up to 20, say, who who might be all of a sudden jumping in and, and learning about MongoDB. That, that was a, a red hot signal that we needed to reach out there and see if we could begin to talk to that organization about either offering some services or maybe about an initial subscription for Mongo. Once we had rolled out the SaaS product, were they aware of the SaaS product? Was that something that would meet their needs? So paying attention to what that data is telling you is one of the strongest ways to get a sense for the degree of interest within a prospective organization. Nate also mentioned, have they moved from introductory courses to advanced courses? That was a whole new level of interest for us, a whole new, a much stronger signal of interest if we had people taking advanced courses than intro courses, because those were typically people who had moved from kicking the tires to really beginning to use MongoDB in a real way in, in production or certainly in their dev environment, really beginning to think about putting it into. So especially for open source companies, this can be a really uh, powerful tool for figuring out where the, the, the commercial possibilities are among your, among your user base. Yes, yeah, I, if I... Yeah, yeah, please. I can just please. riff on what Shannon just said. Open source software companies optimize for ubiquity, right? They want to get their software out to as many people as possible with the expectation that some percentage of the people using the open source version will want commercial support, hosting, you know, advanced features, whatnot. And so one example from a company that we worked, Redis Labs, they're now called Redis, they had one billion downloads of the Redis Docker image off of Docker Hub. And if you're a CMO at Redis and you have a billion people downloading your software, the first question you're going to ask is, who the heck are these people? Like, who are all these people who are downloading our software? And, you know, in the interest of ubiquity, they didn't ask people to provide an email address prior to downloading it. They just want to just remove all the friction, make it really easy for people to get access to Redis. And this is 
This is very common among open source companies. The problem with that is how do you then make a connection to that anonymous developer who downloaded your software? And what Redis did, which is you know a, a page out of the MongoDB University playbook, is they essentially created the Redis University. And they reached out to Redis developers and said, hey, if you downloaded Redis and you want to learn more about it, we invite you to come and take free courses at the Redis University. And in exchange for getting these free courses, they needed to register and provide an email address. And once they had that email address, then that opened up the possibility, as Shannon said, to look for these clusters of people from the same company that were trying out Redis and, and using it. So that's that's another really key thing for open source companies is this gives you a connection to your audience that you didn't previously have by giving away free courses, free education. It creates that connection. It, it gives you a path to learn more about your developer audience. Yeah, I think this is a this is a great example of you know how how you can go about it, and it's exactly as I mentioned before. You know how MongoDB at times set the standard of how to how to do that. Um, can I can I interject just one more one more thing about um, yes, the open source community here? Is developer education is a, an amazing opportunity for the community arm of an open source company. So the the the, the people within a, a startup, sorry, an open source company who are engaged with the community directly, either in you know building building up the community, developing champions within the community, or you know, someone in more of a DevRel capacity who's who's really focused on you know user success within that community, you know, with a, with an eye toward toward community building as well. The when when people when people get get together around a technology and want to learn it they like to talk about what they're learning they like to talk about the problems they're solving and like to get help from from other other people in the community and what i've seen happen time and again with with companies that roll out a substantial developer education portal is they have a huge community that develops around that that educational opportunity, whether it's Redis University or MongoDB University or or some other. And that is a that that is a, a very healthy community, typically that you can use to find some of those champions that you want to use who will be evangelists for you within their own networks. So you know, it's it's a it's a way of magnifying the evangelistic effects of of the educational offering that you're providing by having your community team really tap into the community discussion the community that's that's already there and active around the learning resources that you're providing yeah exactly and you know taking a a step back um, what we have you know most of the times is a new technology a new way to do things that Obviously, it being new, people and by people I mean developers are not really accustomed to you know how in the how to do that, right? That these are the tools that they will be using to create their own stuff. So exactly as you just uh, mentioned, Shannon, you know if you're looking for how tos, you can either you know ask other people, which brings the community component in, or uh, you can depend on the company that has created this technology or even in the open source kind of style, you know, to educate you on that. So this makes, yeah, this makes perfect sense. And, you know, both you jumping in and adding these things is 
all all too insightful. But this also brings me, you know, brings a question to my mind. You know, how the setting a developer enablement or developer education strategy, you know, can influence the VC buy-in. What sure. what so, ticks the boxes? Yeah. Right. So okay. So you know, company building. If you're thinking about this from the from the perspective of a of a VC, you have companies in your portfolio that you that you want the founders to build successfully, and that 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 whole endeavor of company building is largely focused on a specific pain that you believe people will pay you to help them solve. So, as Part of the method uh, of building a company from, say, validating your initial idea to developing your your ICP, your ideal uh, customer profile, to working with design partners, to build the first version of your product, and you know, finally in developing your go-to-market strategy. If you have that 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 obsession on the that that obsession with the user experience especially if your users are developers you are you 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 have to have a mindset through every stage of that company building journey that is focused on solving that pain that developer pain some aspect of their workflow that you're going to make dramatically better and throughout every single stage of building the company you're going to have to learn from your users what it is that they are going to find most valuable what it is that is going to really um, help them bridge that gap to an experience that is much better than the one they're they're currently wrestling with so developer education is a, a fundamental part of this both in terms of helping your Prospective users become aware, you know, pr- providing an awareness of a function for for your organization, but also in user success. But one aspect that we haven't talked about yet is what you learn from your users through through their experience with your documentation and your other educational offerings that play a fundamental role in helping you build your company because you 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 have a product that that you're offering to them but you also have to teach them how to use it and those two sides of that coin are both the, the experiences with both sides of that coin both the product product itself as well as the educational offerings that you're providing are important are fundamental to helping you understand how it is that you need to go about reaching your audience. If the tutorials that you've put together, which primarily serve an awareness uh, role, making your prospective community aware of the features that you provide, the way in which you're solving their pain, or the pain itself that you're trying to solve, aren't resonating with your audience, aren't resonating with who you believe your audience to be, that is a very strong signal that you need to take a closer look at what pain you think you're solving for users, who you believe your users are, and evaluate, are we trying to solve the right problem here? Or is it just that the way we've structured our material, our content, isn't resonating with the audience? But getting that match right is a, is a powerful way to help you make the right next step at every phase of your company building journey.
And having a, 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 a strategy for building your company that is focused on or obsessing over the, the developer experience down to the level of their experience with documentation is something that is incredibly important to those that you're getting guidance from and investment from because they need to see that. They, they, and you as a founder need to have that kind of focus if you're going to hit your milestones and set yourself up for your next round of fundraising. Yeah, you should listen uh, in order to be able to address. Nate, anything to add? Yeah, if, if I were to summarize what Shannon just said, it's the act of educating your customers and prospective customers about your product is a form of customer discovery, right? Shaping your product to meet the true pains, the true problems that your customers have, not what you think they have, but what they actually have. And the, the act of creating that educational content helps you to refine your ideal customer profile. It helps you to refine the messaging. It helps you to refine how you can actually provide value to that customer. So I, and this is something that we've heard from our customers as well, is that they've learned more about their product and what its strengths are, what its weaknesses are, where it adds value, by creating training content, educational content, course content around that product, because there's just so many more data points that they can measure as you get new people coming in, adopting your product, you learn all the things that are missing or the gaps in your product, and you learn more about your customers in the process. So I love how, Shannon, how you brought that all together to, to show that this is another form of discovering uh, your ideal customer and and really making sure that your product is a good fit with that market. Yeah, and also this this refining that you just mentioned is how you will actually evolve the product, you know, and create something that your users would love. So talking about evolution, you know, how do you expect this component of developer education or developer enablement to evolve in the future? You know, what do you see coming up next? We already, you know, Shannon already mentioned that, you know, more and more VCs are interested in this, this part. Mm-hmm. How do you see it evolving? I'll start with you, Nate. Yeah, I think we've seen over the last year and a half in, during the pandemic that education has really moved online. It was already moving in that direction, but I think COVID sort of accelerated that, that general trend from, you know, what are more traditional in-person classroom experiences to more of an online self-paced kind of learning experience. And I think we're going to continue to see that as companies are doing away with their offices, uh, people are working from anywhere in the world that they want to work. They're really demanding learning experiences that they can do on their own time and that are sort of bite-sized, just-in-time learning as opposed to a more formal experience where you might take several days off to go to a training facility and have an instructor-led training. I don't think instructor-led training is going away because there's definitely value there. I just think it's morphing into more of an online delivery where we're going to see hybrid models, you know, something like you know, the scalability, scalability that you see with a MOOC platform like Coursera or edX or Udacity, but with the added benefit of like a support channel or an instructor that you can ask questions to. Shannon talked about in a previous conversation about how in the early days of MongoDB, they would sort of embed someone inside the organization. And the training was was almost like a mini consulting project. And obviously that doesn't 
scale really well if you have hundreds or thousands of customers. But I think moving education online gives us an opportunity to cr- to try to create those hybrid experiences where you have this, all the advantages of self-paced, but you have the ability to reach out and get the help you need from a trusted advisor, from a peer-to-peer community. And you know, I'm seeing some moves in the direction of using AI to kind of provide the most common answers, you know, to, to common questions. But I think there's still going to be a need for that expert help, especially if a company is doing something that's maybe a bit outside the norm and they're really pushing the limits of what the product can do. You're going to need uh, to augment that online learning experience with expert help. So finding a way of doing that, I think, is going to be a, both a big challenge, but also a huge opportunity. So um, picking up on a couple of things that Nate said. So I am seeing a trend toward um, more bite-sized learning opportunities. I, I agree. I don't think instructor-led training is going to go away. There are definitely scenarios in which customer organizations want to <clears throat> ramp a team in as short amount of time as possible to hit a hit a project delivery deadline. But in terms of the self-paced experience for for developers, the ability to jump in and essentially level up with a, with a, a short a short module, you know, something that's more like the five to ten minute range versus the um, forty five to an hour long experience, I think is 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 one trend um, that we're going to see more of. And taking what Nate had to say about access to to an expert, something. That, that that we believe it unusual is that there needs to be that, that's related to to that that idea is that we believe there needs to be a tighter collaboration between between functions within an organization between marketing and developer relations and education and so really going to market with your product where your your strategy assumes those those functions and if you're an open source company you've got some community players as well and together you are thinking about how you are moving people from awareness through your funnel to adoption and and eventually a a commercial relationship. Having every member of the team knowing what their responsibility is and what role they're playing with respect to how we're leveraging uh, developer education, how we're supporting the community and building the community, how we're providing access to experts that they can go to with questions in a just-in-time type of environment, and how how we can then pull from those experiences as, as an organization to identify individuals that can serve as, as, as champions for our organization to help us magnify the effect of, of, of everything else that we're doing. This type of go-to-market strategy where you're, you're, you're thinking about a more integrated uh, strategy involving some, some of these newer functions, education and community, I think is, is another change or, or innovation that we're going to see going forward. Yeah. Yeah, that was great. Uh, thank you for that. This is also a perfect way to to close uh, this episode and uh, wrap everything up. Now, if our listeners want to hear more from you, how can they reach you? Shannon? Feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn or Twitter and happy to, happy to engage in some follow-up conversation. Okay, great. Nate? Yeah, I'm Nate A on Twitter. If you want to learn more about AppSembler and and how we help companies, you can go to AppSembler.com, A-P-P-S-E-M-B-L-E-R. 
Perfect. Thank you both. I think you're a very powerful duo for this episode. So thank you very much for all your insights. And thanks to our listeners for listening to Under the Hood of Developer Marketing, the podcast devoted to developer marketing and relations. You can listen to all episodes, find free resources and the latest news, and also join our community at devrelex.com. You can subscribe to our bite-sized bi-weekly digest or follow us on Twitter at SlashDataHQ. Nate, Shannon, it's been perfect. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure. And for our listeners, thank you for listening to Under the Hood of Developer Marketing, the podcast devoted to developer marketing and relations. You can listen to all episodes, find free resources, and the latest news at devrelex.com. You can also subscribe to our bite-sized bi-weekly digest or follow us on Twitter at slash data HQ.